Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with the local station. Hello, and thank you for joining us today uh, on the latest episode of Going Ringside. I am your host, Scott Johnson. And I had advertised on the Going Ringside TikTok and Instagram channel this week. We would be looking at the final days of Andre the Giant. That is going to have to be delayed until later this month or next month um, because of the Vince McMahon situation. It continues to unfold. Last week, we told you about the bombshell lawsuit alleging sex trafficking filed by this low-level employee at WWE, this young woman who claims McMahon befriended her and sex trafficked her within the organization. Well, now, days later, the Wall Street Journal is reporting something we may have suspected was going on is that he is now also the target of a federal investigation for these allegations of sexual impropriety. The reason why I say we suspected this might be going on was because this past summer, as we covered here on Going Ringside, McMahon was served with both a federal subpoena and search warrant at the time. The only reason we knew about it is it showed up in an SEC filing that WWE had to put out publicly, so the press got wind of it and knew something was going on. We didn't know for sure that that was linked to these allegations by Janelle Grant of sex trafficking, but now the Wall Street Journal and other media outlets nationally are reporting that uh, he is the target and has been the target of federal investigation for sexual impropriety um, since 2022. That being said, while they have questioned a lot of women, he has not been charged with a crime. Once again, Vince McMahon has claimed he is not guilty of any sort of crime or these allegations that have been leveled against him. So obviously this is something in flux. To the point I was trying to get this week to join me on the show, uh, top person who formerly was with the FBI to get their take on this, but they said because there's a lot of what-ifs, they don't want to come forward just yet. They are monitoring and say they will come forward if the time is right. But right now there's just a lot of just a lot of smoke in this. And a uh, defense attorney we had on, or a capital management expert we had on the last episode where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. So we're monitoring it and I needed to get into this federal investigation of McMahon because it's one thing to have a civil lawsuit filed against you by a woman claiming sexual impropriety, sex trafficking. But now, as we talked about last episode, this be could become a criminal investigation. And at least what has been reported so far, the federal government is looking at McMahon and conducting interviews and subpoenaing his cell phone. They seized his cell phone. So we needed to unpack this and see where the investigation is now. This is week two that we are going to look at the McMahon situation because it's one thing to have a civil lawsuit that could provide monetary damages to WWE and McMahon, but to have the federal investigators look at you, this could become criminal. At this point, it is not criminal. Vince McMahon has not been charged on the, with a crime. So let me talk about what we have on tap. In a little bit, we're going to be talking to a veteran police detective who's now retired, Tom Hackney. He's going to join us on the show to talk to us about how investigations like these unfold when they serve subpoenas and search warrant, go on your property, start looking at you, start questioning people, start trying to turn witnesses on one another 
That's important because this past week we also saw one of the defendants in the civil lawsuit is John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, who is one of McMahon's top lieutenants within WWE. He has since in the last week said that he is not uh, guilty in this. He is a victim rather than a predator. That's from his attorney. So Laurinaitis's role in this is very interesting to see that uh, could he be turned on McMahon in some sort of criminal investigation? We're going to have to watch that. But that's what Laurinaitis he's, has put out through his attorney that he is a victim, not a predator. After that, I want to look specifically at one thing we know that has been seized from Vince McMahon. That has been his cell phone. We know federal investigators use a subpoena to get his cell phone. A little later on the show, we are also going to talk to a cybersecurity expert about what they can get out of that phone, what they cannot and can get from McMahon that could be critical in this case. Because in the civil lawsuit, they talked about uh, alleged pornographic photos and videos of the alleged victim. They talked about illicit text messages that were sent. So those are all important in a potential federal investigation. We'll talk to a cybersecurity about that. Uh, a little later on. And then after that, we're going to sit down with our producers here at Going Ringside because while I have talked a lot about the federal investigation and the, and the lawsuit, we haven't talked about how this impacts the wrestling world and the lead up to WrestleMania. Um, you know, this is having an impact on the WWE business and the brand. So we're going to talk about that a little later on as well. But before we go forward on the uh, issue of uh, WrestleMania and headlines, I went on the Going Ringside TikTok channel and Instagram channel and put this post out that we're going to show you in a second about the other controversy happening in WWE right now. There's a lot of online outrage over The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's return to wrestling, and now he looks like he's going to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and by all accounts, looks like he pushed Cody Rhodes out of a spot. A lot of people are not happy. They were, in fact, booing The Rock. So I did this post why I think this controversy is actually good for business. Here it is. Hey, I'm Scott Johnson, host of the Going Ringside podcast. The controversy over The Rock replacing Cody Rhodes against Roman Reigns is the best thing that could happen to WWE right now. You know why? Because it has nothing to do with sex trafficking allegations against Vic Sickman or your organizations. They need to distract from that major headline as much as possible. And a controversy over booking of a WrestleMania is a lot more palatable for the execs at WWE to deal with than talking about what's going on with Vince McMahon. They need some sort of controversy to distract from the major scandal they're dealing with. And dealing with a changed up WrestleMania main event that some fans don't like is something they know how to deal with. This other legal stuff they want off the front page. I cannot expand on that enough. And I've had a lot of commenters at the Going Ringside TikTok channel says, you won't distract us, we won't forget about McMahon. That's true. I mean, I'm doing a Google News search here. Uh, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, New York Times, ABC News, NBC News, Wall uh, Washington Post, everyone's talking about this, particularly after the Wall Street Journal broke it. It is a major mainstream non-wrestling story. Everyone's paying attention to it. But as far as for the wrestling fans, the company needs to get the eye back on the product. Whether controversy or not, they don't want people focusing on sex trafficking in the organization. That is devastating to the organization. They still need to sell tickets, sell pay-per-views, sell subscriptions, whatever, however we watch your premium live events nowadays. 
and they need that to happen going into their marquee show of the year, which is WrestleMania. They do not need this McMahon story to be the top of everyone's minds. So when you got this Rock Cody Rhodes controversy, that's something WWE can live with. The McMahon scandal, it's horrible. And that's what we're going to talk about today um, on the McMahon scandal. So the question is, now that we have confirmed that the feds are investigating and it appears to be related to a lot of this sex allegation against Vince McMahon, against not only um, Janelle Grant, but others, they've interviewed other women. I brought in Tom Hackney. Tom is a veteran uh, police detective for many, many, many years, handled a lot of her high-profile cases. I wanted to sit down with Tom and kind of get his idea on what the feds are doing here and what we can expect in this investigation. Hear what he says about getting defendants to turn on one another because we've got Laurinaitis and WWE are also co-defendants in that civil suit. So here's uh, my interview with former veteran police detective and police supervisor Tom Hackney. Well, we are joined now by a veteran retired police detective here in Florida, Tom Hackney. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Well, I want to talk to you about, so this McMahon case started, we reported about a week ago, as a civil case, uh, allegations of sex trafficking by a former employee. Now news has come out uh, from the Wall Street Journal and others that other women have been in, uh, interviewed by federal investigators. I've been looking through court documents. I've not found anything filed against McMahon uh, criminally but we do know that there's some sort of investigation going on. Tom, can you talk to me about the process of an investigation like this, interviewing, you know, women probably from years past and how that would go? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it can be difficult when you start going into, you know, sometimes decades, decades in the past. Um, you know, for the victims of, of these types of crimes, it doesn't matter how many decades have passed. The, the incidents are so fresh in their, in their mind that they can recall details and the victimization that they've experienced just, just continues on. So that part for an investigator, it makes it, it makes it easy to, uh, to follow through. You know, the time lapse sometimes can, can play difficult, but when you, when you start having a victim come forward in many cases of, of this type of nature, somebody else will, will see that, that this has happened to them. And they'll step forward too if they're if they're a similar type of victim, and and you, you see a lot of the same uh, descriptions about what happened, and and you know this this is a very very powerful man with a whole lot of money with with a very large enterprise, and it seems like at least from the allegations and some of the reports that that had gone out, uh, these are these are people he had around him, and and so these the investigators are going to have to go through, you know, kind of comb through his background, comb through those who've worked against him look for you know previous allegations and, and try to try to pin down some of the details again not making a case yet but to try to get their ducks in a row to be able to to move forward if there is a case to be made now mcmahon and the other defendants have adamantly denied this and their legal representation is saying they will fight this in court um a search warrant of some sort over the summer was served we don't know the details of that the only thing we really know, and we're going to have a cybersecurity expert later in the show talk to, talk to us about, they seized a cell phone. Um, is that pretty standard, you know, during search warrants when devices are seized to, you know, start piecing together whether or not you have a case? Yeah, Scott. So, you know, you're trying to build a timeline of what happened and you're trying to, to piece together a puzzle, piece together a story. 
And, you know, you can make some inferences from, from my history to know that if, if they're looking in electronic devices, that may be part of the allegations that are being made by the victims, uh, the alleged victims in these cases, that, that something has been recorded on a phone or, or uh, text messages or some, some communication between them and the alleged suspect that make investigators really want to get their hands on that, go through, get a search warrant, and come through the uh, the electronic records that are there. So it's just another piece of, of building that case, maybe, or building that puzzle or, or trying to get their things together to know where they're going to go with a case of this nature. Now, McMahon and the other parties involved have, you know, denied wrongdoing. Is it very possible we see no criminal charges at all? Yeah, you know, of course, yeah, anybody can make an allegation. Um, and But on that same thing, you know, anybody has a defense and, and you would expect that hopefully if, if nothing happened, that, that he would get his day in court to uh, to defend himself. But again, if if these allegations are true with, with so many victims that it sounds like that could and, be- And I want to back up. I want to back up. So kind of walk me through that process. So the investigators that this, this case would look like federal would go to like a U.S. attorney and, and discuss we can arrest or, or we can't. Is that kind of how that works? Yeah, so so with with the federal investigators in this case, that they would go through and, and work with a a federal prosecutor from the from the U.S. Attorney's Office in in wherever district that was that that the crimes were alleged to have occurred, and work with that prosecutor to to build a case, uh, working hand in hand with them to to get themselves to a point that they either have a case against him or they reached enough answers and enough conclusions that, that there's nothing enough to go forward with. So, so what you see, I think, a lot here, and, and these things sometimes don't move very fast. So, you know, we're talking last summer when, the, when these uh, it came out that, you know, they're going to go yeah. through the got the search warrants. You know, this, this six months from then, yeah, and, you know, that's not all that much time. Um, but it, it, it's plenty of time for investigators, especially with, with a case like this of, of, of high-profile nature. And you want to make sure that, that your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed and that working with that federal prosecutor, that, that you've got everything you need to make sure that, that if you're making a case, you're making a good case and it goes forward. One other question. There's, another, there's a couple other defendants she, the, in, the, in the civil side. She sued McMahon. She sued WWE as a corporation. She's also sued one of McMahon's subordinates who would have been her supervisor, a man named John Laurinaitis, his attorneys this week, um, this past week, said that he's a victim here, that he has done no wrongdoing. Do you often see when you have multiple people being looked at that they, that they can kind of turn on each other? You know, in some respects, as an investigator, that's that's what you hope for, uh, to be perfectly honest, that that if there's if there are multiple co-defendants in a, in a case, and, and folks involved from different levels of an organization or different levels within a group that somebody will turn on the next person that has that knowledge. It, it's, a, it's a tactic that's, that's used and, and, and fairly successfully through different cases over the years. Uh, you get somebody that's involved with the crime who has knowledge of it. Um, you know, the, the prosecutors, both federally and state prosecutors, look for trying to make the best case that they can and sometimes having having a co-defendant who they flip and will testify against the, the main uh, defendant is, is, a, is a tactical way to ensure that, that they're able to get a conviction in a case. Well, retired police detective Tom Hackney down here in Florida. Tom, thanks for joining us on the show today. All right, Scott. Thanks, buddy.
So one thing I've done in this is I've gone through all the federal filings. Sometimes search warrants or subpoenas are put out there for public consumption. They're not yet. In talking to some contacts who with a federal law enforcement background, they tell me one reason for that is because those ones remain sealed while the investigation is ongoing. Sometimes they won't be sealed, but in this case, in McMahon's case, it appears they remain sealed to this point. But the one thing that has been released and put out in the public consumption is that McMahon's cell phone was seized by federal investigators. Obviously, in, in the civil lawsuit against him, there's been allegations uh, that he uh, would share uh, pornographic videos, images that he took of this woman, as well as illicit text messages. So I wanted to bring on a cybersecurity expert I know to talk to me about what federal officials are going to do with McMahon's cell phone and what they may be able to glean from it in their investigation, if it will do anything as far as pushing for criminal charges of Vince McMahon. Here's my interview with a cybersecurity expert. Well, we are joined now by Chris Hamer, a cybersecurity expert based in Florida. Chris, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me. Well, can you tell me a little about um, what federal officials can do with the cell phone? Um, the only thing that's really been reported in the McMahon investigation that's been seized at this point has been a cell phone. What can federal investigators do with that, Chris? Well... Um, from the moment they take actual physical possession of the phone, they have procedures that they follow. Some of it depends on what the actual device is as to how to handle it. Um, but they take every step to not only protect the device, but protect the data that's on it. Uh, they will isolate it from the network by putting it in a Faraday cage or, or a Faraday bag, which pre just prevents it from receiving any signals from anywhere. Uh, they will protect. And, and let source. me interrupt. That's pretty typical for like FBI to use. That's part of the procedure. Okay. I mean, that's absolutely outlined in the uh, the security pro uh, procedures. Okay. So and you then seize... where do they go from there? Well, depending on the device, there's a number of different avenues of attack that they can proceed uh, that they can pursue. The um, it depends on the operating system. It depends on whether or not the device has been deliberately hardened against attack. There are some Android phones and uh, some other third-party devices that are 100% designed that if you lose control of it, nobody's getting into it. Uh, those are the toughest nuts to crack. Uh, the FBI maintains, and, and a couple of other three-letter agencies, uh, maintain a database of zero-day exploits or vulnerabilities in those devices that may or may not be public knowledge. And uh, they will use those in order to leverage access to the device. So I'm just going to assume McMahon's a, a regular civilian, a very wealthy regular civilian, but assume he owns a phone like most people own a phone, um, not like an encrypted type government type thing, but most phone, you know, most general phones are iPhones, Androids typically. Um, some are, you can break, some you can't. Is that accurate? As far as consumer electronics, I would say, there's a 99.997% probability that they will gain access to it. So the big thing of questions are three things, photos, videos, and text messages. That's what's been talked about in the lawsuit. And we don't know, let me clarify, we don't know for certain that's what the FBI wants his phone for. But if the concern in this lawsuit is photos, videos, and text messages, would they be able to see those even if they're old or deleted or, or what kind of access would they have? 
I have to believe that the FBI would operate within the scope of the warrant and the warrant will be very succinct about what data they are allowed to access. They just can't go through the entire device and find anything of interest. Uh, warrants just aren't written that way. Um, they will target either specific communications or communications between certain individuals. They will target certain keywords. They will go through all of the accessible images and find any that are relevant to the case. Um, they have to proceed very carefully because if they just go off on a, on a fishing expedition, they could actually invalidate any of the data that they get because they've exceeded the scope of the warrant and thus can bring that up as a challenge in, in court. They're usually pretty good about not doing that. Um, they're also very good at getting warrants that give them a great deal of latitude uh, in collecting information. So all of that, as far as the phone's concerned, is nothing more than data. And Whether what about text messages uh, to determine whether or not, there's been a lot of text messages that have been released in the press. And you know, the question is, did McMahon actually send them or not? You know, do they have the ability to, you know, get a good gauge on whether or not he sent or received certain text messages? Well, all of that is, there's a record of all of that with his provider as to whether or not he sent or received any particular SMS messages. Um, the device would have, depending on what application he's using, uh, the device would also have record of that, whether somebody else has access to the device to send those messages in his stead, that's, that's for the court to decide. And on the photos in the video, she's alleging some graphic photos and videos if they're still there, I'm sure FBI could get them. If they've been deleted or put on the cloud, would they have access there once they have the phone? If they've been deleted, there's a possibility of being recovered, but that, that probability decreases the further you get away from the time that it was actually deleted because that memory allocation gets redistributed amongst other applications and can be partially overwritten or damaged or destroyed completely. As far as it being stored on the cloud, here's the funny part about that. Storing your data on the cloud is actually less defensible against a uh, investigation. It's actually somebody else's computer. You no longer have a, a constitutional protection to that data because you're no longer warehousing it. And if he you know, maybe suspected he was going to have some problems, wanted to wipe the phone, delete things. And we don't know that he did. We just know that the phone's been seized. But would he have the ability before police, you know, get to the device to wipe it? That's why it's stored in a Faraday cage, because it's it's detached from any wireless signals. It's detached from well, his... well, what I'm saying is like like if he knows that, you know, police, police are coming, they're going to look into him and he doesn't want them to get stuff on a phone, could he have wiped it days prior? And can you do a good job of that as a, as a, as a civilian, so to speak? Depends on the device. It would dramatically reduce the amount of recoverable data, but it would also um, reduce some of the safeguards that you may have of having it perhaps encrypted within an app or uh, something like that. Because if the phone's in a default state, there's less hindrance to them actually gaining access to it. And as far as phone logs, um, text times, things of that nature, that's something that I'm assuming is with the provider and they can get that? Correct. Gotcha. 
Well, Chris Hamer, that uh, helps us kind of get to the bottom of what we'll, we will be watching in this investigation. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. You're very welcome. Have a great day. So that was a look at the seized cell phone. There may be other seized evidence that we don't know about, certainly, and we don't know necessarily what they want it for. The only thing that's been reported so far is the illicit uh, messages and images that were referenced in the civil lawsuit. We don't know exactly the nature of what the federal investigators want it for yet. We can only infer based on what's in the civil lawsuit at this point. But the other part of this is what is it WWE? They are in their most important time of the year right now. We are in the lead up to WrestleMania. It is their Super Bowl of wrestling. They build their whole year around WrestleMania. The Rock is back. You got Roman, Cody, get all that drama going on. Do you need this black eye at the time? And what does it mean for other high-profile figures in the company? Could they be let go? There's been talk that Brock Lesnar's been put on the shelf indefinitely as a result of this. So we wanted to kind of look at that. I brought in uh, Rory Thompson and Jason Mealy, our producers here at Going Ringside, to kind of discuss the fallout in the wrestling world, not just the legal world. What does it mean going into WrestleMania? Well, we've talked so much about the legal part of this and the law enforcement part of this and the lawsuit part. We haven't really talked about the wrestling part. So we need to do that now. Joining me now, our producers here are going ringside, Jason and Rory. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Scott. Well, let's get down to it. Rory, I'll start with you. Uh, the fallout has been all over the place. One of the things you've been talking to me about is merchandise. You've kind of noticed that WWE is changing merchandise. Yeah, um, I've seen on Twitter um, from various outlets saying that uh, Brock Lesnar's merchandise was being discounted to 93 or 99% off. Um, so that's really interesting because, you know, Brock Lesnar is a big part of WWE history. And, you know, there was talks of him doing stuff for WrestleMania, but now it seems like that might all be, you know, disappearing. Yeah, and one of the talks, because I haven't really talked about it much here, is that, you know, uh, there's indications Lesnar may have been mentioned in the civil suit, which is a concern. Jason, on the issue of going into mania, this is the biggest time of the year for WWE, the build-up to mania. They build their whole year around this. Do you think this is making it difficult for them to keep the focus on the build-up to mania? Company-wise, yes. Storyline-wise, no. And we saw at the Royal Rumble some of those questions that were asked in the, uh, in the post media scrum and everybody in that company was on focus and on message, starting with triple H and, and following with Cody. It's like, you know, we're talking about all the stuff in the ring. So uh, as far as the story, storyline wise, if you're talking about that, um, no, it doesn't affect anything, but front office wise, most definitely. So the timing has been the weird part to me about all this. They do the announcement with Netflix at the stock exchange with The Rock three days before the lawsuit drops. It just seems too odd to me. I, I wonder if they put The Rock on there because, like, The Rock's making these videos now. Vince is nowhere to be seen in them. Obviously, The Rock is their golden boy, you know, for the company. Do you think they might, and we've talked about here on the podcast that it's very likely WWE knew this lawsuit was about to drop and Vince was going to have problems do you think they brought The Rock back when they did partly to like get that new face for the company and just have it be all about The Rock instead of the McMahons? 
I, I don't think so. These when it, when we're talking this type of money, and this this takes a long time for these deals to get reached. Uh, this is just a just a, a a bad timing coincidence thing. But a deal like this, with all the money that's involved, had to have been in the works for a very long time. I mean, uh, I, I think everything in business, especially wrestling, is planned in advance and so i do think that maybe they heard about this and they were like this would be a perfect time um especially with the rock because they've announced like there's been other board of directors announced over the few last few weeks um with you know a lot of them not getting any fanfare because it's like people don't know them but the rock you know they made a big spectacle out of it i do think that this came out a time where they maybe wanted to pivot you know towards new management um, who knows how much of a say he has, um, but I mean, it seems like he has a, a big say, especially creatively with like everything that's going on with him and Roman Reigns. So I, who knows? So what do you think happens to Vince on camera, like in the library? Do you think he gets the Benoit treatment uh, where we just never hear about him again? I mean, obviously he's in the library. You can't erase him from old stuff, but going forward, do you think it's kind of like Chris Benoit where they just don't mention him? Um, I think so. I think it's tough because there's been rumblings that Stephanie might come back to the company and, um, you know, Shane is always somebody who, you know, dips and dabs with the company. So yeah. it's like they, they can't change their last name. Um, and the company is made by a McMahon who shows up first. You know, Vince Sr. shows up first when you watch WWE programming. So it's like, it's hard to say that they could, you know, completely wipe him out. I do think going forward, they're not going to give him his praises or even really say much of his name. I think they're going to try to wipe him out kind of that way, not necessarily let's take him out of the library or anything like that. And Jason, your opinion. So once again, as we've said, these are allegations. This will be settled in court. It could McMahon could be, uh, you know, deemed, you know, not guilty and and not even criminally in, uh, charged, anything like that. If this goes away, because when Vince had his hush money scandal a couple of years ago, he came back to the company. Do you think Vince ever comes back if, if you know, there's no criminal charges and, and, you know, they figure out the lawsuit? You know what I mean? I don't. And maybe it's because there's a blurring of the lines. You know, I mean, it, it almost seems like the Mr. McMahon character was real. That was really him. It doesn't seem like it was a character. I, I just think there's too much PR damage done, you know, for the brand now. I mean, TKO is in charge of that, is in charge of that company now. It, it's no longer the family business anymore. It's it's now a corporate entity. And they're probably not going to extend the come out and say goodbye and, and do it gracefully and peacefully. I, I, I just think the PR damage is done. Is there a Netflix McMahon special coming? I've been, I saw promos that I never know the actual answer. Have we heard? Um, I've seen some stuff online saying that there is a documentary being made about McMahon, but it isn't going to be like a a friendly one. It's not going to be no. showing McMahon in the best of light. It's it's I've heard that it's supposed to tackle the stuff that you know is the you know the bad stuff of yeah. um, Vince McMahon. So I hope that. You know, they're not going to shy away from anything. Um, I do think that's going to be interesting because of um, 
WWE Raw is going to be on Netflix. Maybe they promote it. I doubt it because it's, you know, kind of like this is somebody you want away from it, but it definitely would be something that a lot of people are going to watch. Um, but Jason, I want to I finish with this. We don't know what's accurate, what's not. It's just alleged. It's He's not been convicted. He hasn't been found guilty, anything like that. But if anything's remotely accurate, Vince McMahon before the Attitude Era was the announcer. He was maybe kind of a showy businessman, but he really took on the character, and they say live the gimmick in wrestling. Do you think Vince McMahon throughout the Attitude Era and then with a lot of the stuff in the early 2000s that maybe changed him as a person? You know, that, that's kind of tough to answer because we, we could go all the way back to the steroid trial where yeah. he where he won against the U.S. government then. Yeah, but, that, but I'm talking about like the the salacious stuff with Trish Stratus, the Vince McMahon drop my drawers in the middle of the ring, that type of stuff, you know what I mean? Where he's just like, he's just gone, gone off the deep end as far as a character at that point. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems, as, as like I mentioned earlier, it almost seems like the character was the real life. And, you yeah. know, we're starting to hear more and more, not just, I mean, we, we're probably going to hear from, from some other women in the and who were in the WWE at that time, but even some of the ex wrestlers are, are starting to say, "We told you so." With this, yeah. Well, we'll be watching Rory Jason. Thanks for joining us. So I want to thank you for joining us for another look at the McMahon situation now that it has gone beyond just a civil lawsuit and we know federal authorities are investigating him on some fashion. We're going to continue to follow this. Um, we will come back to this subject if need be. Otherwise, we'll get back to regular stuff in the wrestling world in coming weeks. But I want to thank you for watching us. And once again, on this McMahon stuff, I'm putting daily updates at the Going Ringside Instagram and TikTok channel as details come out. So give us a follow there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Going Ringside. This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player, on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.